welcome to Imagine Me and Utena, a Revolutionary Girl Utena podcast. I'm Panda. I'm your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Alice. How you doing, Alice? Doing pretty good. Today, we're talking about the final volume of the Revolutionary Girl Utena manga, volume five, and here to help us do that is our new friend, Ari. How you doing, Ari? Hey, how's it going? All right. Now, I want to start off this episode with a statement. I texted you this earlier, Alice, but I'm now a manga apologist and I take back all of my mean things. That, well, not all of the mean things I've said about the manga, but I take back a lot of the mean things I've said about the manga. I did this the last time we talked about volume four, but oh my God, this volume was so good. Like from start to finish, mm -hmm. I loved this volume and I'm just so excited to get to talk about it. How did you guys feel? Well, the like a lot of the problems that we had in the first, like I have it in two big like books. The most of the problems that are there in the first book are totally eclipsed by the stuff that the last like third of the manga does very right. Um, it takes the story, it takes the end in a different direction. That honestly, I wouldn't have minded seeing the actual show if if it had ended up there. I would have been okay with that. How did you feel about it, Ari? Could be gayer. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I... 110 I am, I am the opposite of a magnetizer. Um, but before we get into it, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your history with Revolutionary Girl Utena, Ari? Uh, sure. Hi. Uh, so, um, I'm going gonna, gonna to try to cut a long story short because I was, as I was saying before recording, like Fargo Forest, I am all the balls. I am 35. I am old enough to have watched the first 12 episodes of Utena on VHS. Oh my God. When we first got him. So I am uh, of a complicated history. I'm from Argentina. Uh, I live in Scotland. I've lived in Ireland. My parents live in Italy. It's a very complicated family situation. Um, <clears throat> I am a scary migrant. Uh, and I'm, I'm a trans woman, which I always find that's relevant. And... Um, so my history with Utena is like I in the in the 90s was like the big explosion of like anime and manga fandom in Argentina. And I was like and that was I was a teenager at that point, And so it, that was like my teenage subculture that I was in. OK. And it was a really nice subculture to be in because it was very um, uh, it was at the time it was very unpretentious. It was people from all sorts of backgrounds, all sorts of like all class and race backgrounds and. Uh, very mixed in terms of gender and sexuality and a lot of like out um, out uh, out queer people and uh, but you know it was still like the 90s and we were still silly teenagers and we we're watching all this anime and manga and some of us were queer and some of us weren't but um, and we find Utena um, and Utena we found it as I said in said VHS tapes which we got uh, like there was a there was a, a, a very small like great like black market in pirated spanish vhs tapes like as in from spain oh yeah because we we didn't like we either got anime on tv through like in the latin american dubs which are separate from from spain dubs um they're That's done it's, they're completely different markets um and so we would get, like, we didn't, at the time, we didn't have, like, domestic releases of anime officially. So the tapes that we got were pirated from Spain and of 
varying levels of quality, shall we say. <laughs> uh, I once bought, and I think, and every because like the thing was also that like you would buy your tapes, and then like every now and again you would find a tape in a better quality to replace one like three episodes that it had in really bad quality. And I remember one time I brought home an Evangelion tape, and halfway through it turned into a cowboy movie. Um, which I know that for some people might be an improvement. Not for me, though. I love Evangelion. But we I remember are that, a pro-Evangelion podcast. That sounds like the greatest juxtaposition, meaningless juxtaposition I've ever heard. I was, was just great. thinking that, like, Evangelion turning into a cowboy movie sounds very up Alice's That's ass. like some Italo <laughs> Calvino shit right there. We're like, surprise, motherfucker. Oh it's actually Sergio Leone. <laughs> But to stay on topic, so yeah, so we got, and all we got, and all that was released at the time was the first 12 episodes, the Student Council saga. And that's all we saw. And the only other thing that we had to go with was that old, old uh, Utina website from which uh, Giovanna and Sasha still have some bits up on on the Rose Garden, which is like the... Um, on Empty Audrey Movement! Uh, yeah, Empty how, Movement. That was how we met you, Ari, was in the Empty Movement Discord. Yes, uh, empty movement. But they, but Sasha and Giovanna have bits of this really, really old website um, that had like translations for the scripts of all the episodes and the dual songs. That's awesome. Yeah. So that that site was up in the nineties. That's old timey stuff. And at the time, it was impossible for us to get new episodes, more more episodes than that. And so we just read the scripts of the rest of the show without being able to watch the show. Um. And yeah, you know, and so it was like a very, very weird thing. But Utena was something that really impacted us because we had all watched Sailor Moon because it had just finished airing uh, in Argentina in its entirety with largely, relatively less censorship than in the US. We never got all of uh, Sailor Moon in the US. The Sailor Stars season never aired in the US. Mm, yeah, that's right. Because they um, could, at that point, like, there's way too much to edit out for for their censorship standards. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so when, when we started watching Lutina, it was this thing where it was like much more artsy and much more outwardly kind of queer and playing with gender stuff. And it was really interesting to us because it, it felt to, to us, the way that we saw it was like, this is Sailor Moon through the filter of something like Evangelion, you know, like something much more philosophical, much more That kind is of... such a good way to put it. Oh my god. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. I love that. So yeah, so so that was the, that was that and uh, around the time as I was telling you, I managed to get the manga in Italian, which was the only version I could get in a language that I could read. <laughs> um, and I still have it. I've never replaced it. Like I've replaced a lot of comics that I have in Italian and Spanish with English versions so that I can share them with friends, but I've never replaced those. Those are still kicking about. Um, and uh, yeah, and then I ended up watching the rest of the show first through pirated real player videos. <laughs> oh my God. I remember real player. Wow. Yeah, first through oh, that. Like, a blast from the past. Yeah, it's basically every time there's been like an upgrade in format, I've rewatched the show. That's awesome. Yeah, I think I've never fully watched the new remaster um, or the Blu-rays, but I need to do it at some point. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my history with the show. And so it's a show that has always stuck with me because some shows, 
some stories. I don't fully grow out of them, but I can tell that they're not really for me anymore in some ways. Like, I'm a, like okay, so I'm a South American uh, anime fan of a certain generation, so I am a fan of Saint Seiya, and that's something that is indisputable, like all of us are. Oh, really? I've never yeah. seen Saint Seiya, yeah, but I've, I've heard been of told it. I'm but it's one of those things where, like, see, in 2018, nobody should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> And I can say that, but Utena is something that I find still rewarding as I grow up. It's kind of like Evangelion. It has so much in there to look at. I have found myself, and this sounds to me with Evangelion, and on all of the best stories that stay with me, that when I first encountered a story, I, I, I related very strongly to one character. And as my life goes on and as I grow, I stop relating to that character, but I start relating to others. You know, And I get that in Utena so much. And I got that in Evangelion a lot. Um, and so that's that I find that Uten is a very, very rewarding kind of kind of experience. And it's a very unique show that's not did a lot of things that a lot of shows have not really tried since. I think it was so it was really up its own arse. Um, <laughs> it's very bold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, so it's 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 one of those things that are like has stayed with us and um and my thing that I was that that, that that i have is that <laughs> yeah i only have like one person to talk about it with because that's my friend laura from back home and we watched it together when we got it on those vhs tapes and we've remained friends and and we have very very different lives but we're we're very close friends and she um and she still loves utina you know she's she's married and has a kid and i um None of those things, but I have a master's degree. I don't know. Um, but the, my point, my point being, um, that we we both keep coming back to it. You know, we both love it, and it's only her that I can talk to about it because nobody else has seen it. Because it's very hard in in this day and age to tell a millennial, "Hey, stop the two jobs that you're doing and watch a 39 episode anime that doesn't really get going until about episode five. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I totally get that. It's so hard. Like, I have so many things that are, like, on my to-watch list that I just physically do not have the time for. Yeah. So, anyway, that is my history with this now. I still love it to bits. Um, I, I, I am the kind of obsessive fan that sometimes tries to glean the meaning of J.A. Caesar's film work and why certain songs of his were chosen for the show. And that, stuff like that. And my fandom does extend to the manga, but what I was going to say is that, yeah, my I appreciate the manga, but I do not have like the same passion for it that I have for the anime. I feel um, But it is very interesting, and especially by the last volume, I find that the art is really, really beautiful. But yeah, I don't know. That's kind of my history. I'm all this balls. <laughs> Boom. Who is your favorite character? Uh, so when I first watched the show, my, first, my favorite character was Mickey. As, uh, as a teenager who thought that she was a boy who was also, you know, a trans girl <laughs> without knowing it, I was what we, what some people call an egg. <laughs> um, and I saw a lot of myself in Mickey. I wasn't quite a genius, but I was like, you know, misunderstood and intelligent or whatever. And I kept a stopwatch with me. Um, not really. but And I actually cosplayed as Mickey with a really bad wig 
but uh, a, ta- a tailor-made like Mickey like jacket for um, the main Argentinian comic book comic books convention of the time, which was called Fantavires, and that was I think nineteen no two thousand Fantavires two thousand. That's that was the one. And my friend Laura that I talked talked about before uh, cosplayed as a jury. Um, and we were there all dressed up and she, she had her hair done in like corkscrews and it was really lovely. And I'll, 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 I'll ask her if I can send you the picture. I don't mind showing you a pre-transition teenage me photo in a bat wig. I would Um, love to see pictures of your cosplay. Oh my God. 90s cosplay. Like these are actually analog photographs, but. Oh my God. uh, I love it. Yeah. But, um. Uh, so, as as I grew up, um, I found that my favorite character turned out to be Jury, because as I rediscover, as I rewatched the show after coming out, I found myself being, oh yes, I am also a bitter young lesbian. <laughs> oh man, that's relatable. Yeah, and that's kind of how it stayed, to be honest, because there are no really older characters, older female characters that I can really relate to that much um, in the show. I just relate to Jury a bunch. And now I'm starting to get to the point where I am just looking at Jury like I would see an, like someone of her age as an adult, and I'm like, oh, you're gonna... You'll pull through, kid, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Jury. How do you feel about Jury in the manga? Because she's not that different but there are certain differences in her uh personality that are uh not the best i haven't read for for context a little bit i haven't read the short story a deep azure shadow which has jury in it i assume because she's on the the front page but uh how do you feel about jury in the manga well jury in the main story of the manga, before the uh, before the Ruka side story, is kind of a bit of a nothing character. Unfortunately, in my yep. opinion, yeah, like she she has a thing for Toga in the main story that kind of doesn't seem to really go anywhere. She seems to just be like a rival for Utena. Like it's just there's not a lot in there. It's very cliche. Oh, definitely. Which, which when I read it, I was like, this is. I didn't have the words to like break it down in trope ways or whatever, but at the time, but I definitely felt that it was just much more of a like you know default setting for shoujo manga. Click, you know. That's how a lot of the first few, like the first three volumes of the manga, are very predictable shoujo, yeah. and we've talked a little bit about like why that is and like. Chiho Saito having a little bit more of an obligation to appeal to a traditional shoujo audience, whereas Ikahara <laughs> basically gets to just do whatever he wants because he's the David Lynch of anime. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think there was an aspect that, like, I don't think I have liked Chiho Saito's work as a manga artist, and I really like her art, but I don't thing her storytelling is that interesting to me and i left it like that's just like a couple thing. of volumes or re- it had take a really interesting turn but i'm not oh, really no, they, familiar they with her work outside of that 
They do, but I'm just, she's, she's traditionally in a way that I find also kind of like almost boring. I can see that. You know, like Toga, like Toga, uh, kind of one of the whole points of the, of Utena as a project is to, to bring back this thing from, from the sort of like second generation, well, first generation, really shoujo manga and anime where yes we have all these pretty people but they're all really fucked up you know and that is not a thing that Utena invented that is something that Utena very strongly got in part by like 60s and 70s by 70s manga um and for me the thing of like for example Toga in the anime is this layered character who's ultimately quite fucked up and in the manga he's just like ah he's just a bit misguided but ultimately he's a good guy you know? Yeah, he's definitely a much. When I say better, I mean like positive better, not like better developed. But he's a better character and person in the manga. I would definitely say. Whereas in the anime, he's very like conniving and like plotting and like trying. He's trying to be Akio, whereas we like. I don't even know that we see. Toga and Akio interact in the manga at all. If we do, it's not. No. But as, yeah, I guess I just found, you know, it's very hard for me to shake off my first impression of the manga, which was this is the anime but boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because... that's definitely true for a lot of it. Volume one is yeah. bad. It is like Volume One has that bad. Volume one has a very interesting like intro chapter out of nowhere. I hate the intro chapter. I hate it so much. <laughs> we talked in our episode about that. We just talked for like like an hour about how much we hated the the prologue because it's so bad. It it's is just so very strange, and it doesn't do anything. But to 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 kind of go back to your question about Jury, so um, so Jury then has like the Ruka arc, and the whole thing with the Ruka arc is that it's not Shiori is not involved in the slightest in that version of the story in the original manga. And I was like, oh, and, and her whole thing is like, oh, you know, all her love for Toga was just a displaced crush from Ru- for Ruka. And I was like, um, okay. Um, it doesn't really sexuality out of here. <laughs> yeah. Like at least, at least in the anime, it's like, okay, maybe she's bi. Maybe some, like, like, like there's like layers there. Um, the latest manga I, I think like all the latest manga, I think I read it once and I was very happy because it's the, the, the post, the post, uh, you know, this anniversary manga project that they did, mm-hmm. they seem to, they seem to have abandoned the idea of separate manga and anime universes. Yeah. It's sort of a blending of the two. Yeah. And so the way that I'm reading it is like, Okay, I am reading it as Jury being queer is back in the manga canon and you can't stop me. <laughs> yes, good. And it should have been there in the first place. And I wish that, like, I feel in my heart that if, like, this manga were being made in 2018 instead of when it was made, I feel like there would have been more freedom to have more of these characters be queer and, like, be able to do more interesting things but like uh it's it's such a shame that the manga came out the way that it did and like 
because like I said, like Chiho Saito had to listen to her editors, whereas like Ikahara is just like, this, this is my world. You do what I say. Yeah, pretty much. I don't know. The, the production, the production history of the whole thing is, is so layered by having all of these different creative visions and the yeah, fact that, you know, I mean, before the anniversary manga, we basically had four continu- No, sorry, five continuities. <laughs> Wait, no, is that six? If you count the Saturn game? Oh, yeah, we, uh, for our, uh, for our podcast birthday, so to speak, we, uh, we streamed us playing the Sega Saturn game for a little bit. <laughs> very fun. Nice. We have a couple of friends that did, uh, a very intensive playthrough of all of the different routes you can take in the Sega Saturn game. It looks so good, and I'm really, I'm really, I'm, I'm gonna like stream it or let's play it at some point, and it's gonna be an, it's an exciting thing. But that basically, um, I'm so excited that 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 got translated. But but the thing is, yeah, like we you know we have the the TV series, the manga, the movie, and the movie manga, and those are already four continuities. And then you add the like novels, which are also kind of separate. And then you add the Sega Saturn game, and ah. <laughs> I have not read the movie manga yet, and I haven't read any of the light novels. I don't know. I feel like we should do an episode about the light novels, but I hadn't thought about it. I haven't. I haven't read those. I've read the movie manga. It's, in my opinion, very good. I've heard um, a lot of good things, actually. Uh, one of our one of our very first fans, uh, Shockeye Pierce on Twitter, is a very big fan of the movie manga, and so I'm very interested to to see where it goes. I like it. I won't spoil it for you. I have. I like it. In uh, Alice and I both have the uh, the anniversary hardcover editions of the manga that came out not too long ago. And so it includes uh, all of the side stories and the movie manga. I saw, I saw that. I was going to buy it, but then they announced that the Blu-rays are getting released in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I had this thing where I was like, I could buy this now, but I'm just going to resent it for not being the anime until I have the anime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I totally get that. Yeah, I have the Blu-ray and it's gorgeous. I love it so much. Yeah. I'm basically waiting to see if if they make good on on their on the promise of releasing in the UK because it got licensed last year, and if it doesn't, then you know I'll import it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we've we've I I, I I think I've taken you through a digression. <laughs> That's okay. We uh, uh, we meander a little bit here. We're not uh, we're not too strict. This is a a fun good time, but I guess. Ooh. We should probably get into what happens in the manga. <laughs> sure. Okay, so I um didn't prepare because I realized about an hour before we were supposed to record that I had not read this. So I had to speed read it uh, and I didn't get to take any notes because I was like out running errands with one of my friends while I was reading this in the car and so I didn't get to take any notes but I'm gonna flip through here and give us a a brief rundown of what happens in the manga because it is very very different from the anime and there's certain stuff about this that I really like but even though I kind of prefer the anime ending better there's one 
particular thing at the end of this manga that made me extremely happy. Okay, after a, a second interlude of technical difficulties, we're going to start talking about the contents of the manga again. Uh, we left off with Utena finding out that Akio is Dios and that's her prince. And she's kind of... Very, wait, Ari, is everything okay? No, I just said gasp. Oh, no. Okay, <laughs> sorry. I, I didn't actually hear what you said. I just heard, like, a sound. And so I thought maybe you were like, oh, shit, the recording is not doing it again. No, no, no. It was, okay, it was just like, so, it was like, Akio is Dios. What an unexpected turn of events. <laughs> what a twist. We find out that Dios and Akio are the same person because he talks to Utena and tells her that uh, they were a race of basically immortal beings that could be considered gods, which plays into the uh, the mythical aspect of the manga versus the storybook aspect of the anime that we talked about in the episode for volume four. And uh, he explains that there once Dios and Akio were two souls inhabiting the same body, two halves of a whole. And uh, he would Dios was uh, his duty was to help mankind, but then mankind got greedy. And so he was like, fuck this. And uh, Akio kind of took over and we find out that that day that that happened was the day that uh, Dios gave his ring to Utena. And that ring held his courage and his dignity. Things that Akio definitely doesn't have. And Anthe was able to save Dios in a way by uh, stepping in to save him and sealing away his power and his ring in the castle which is not a trick of the light here but an actual thing that exists because they're in it and uh we talked about in the the previous iteration of this recording that uh Anthe is kind of a horror crux in that way because she seal she kept her sword in his bosom or, or she kept his sword in her bosom one last token of her love but it was that token that clinched her fate that cursed her as the rose bride and i really like the fact that we get kind of definitively said that being the rose bride is a curse because in the anime it's more of a like figurative curse instead of in this a literal curse in the anime it's just sort of something that Anthe does because Akio said she had to uh and I think that's it I think that that bend on it in this version of the story is really interesting and they talk a lot about uh how Dios and Akio were basically the same thing, one dark and one light, but the Dios of light is gone and no longer exists. Uh, and so Anthe is apparently turning into mist because she's beginning to fade away, just like Dios. And Utena's like, I'm gonna save her because I'm gonna revolutionize the world. Uh, well, first... 
first Akio's like, can you blame her? Where would you be with the Utena without your prince? And then Utena smacks him in the face, which was amazing. And like when I was reading this, I like showed the panel to my friend and I was like, yeah, get him. <laughs> Fuck Akio. I hate him. Yeah. Actually, I actually like I like this version of Akio better because uh as we we talked about this and none of us can remember whether or not Akio specifically uh is sexual with Anthe in the manga whereas in the show it's uh it's very explicit what is going on but this version of Akio is more just like a controlling dick than he is like a total insane cruel monster yeah he's not a monster in this he's just like he's just a wee dick he's just an asshole yeah ironically even though they're like explicitly said to basically be gods they all act a lot more like actual people it's very greek mythology yeah but um Utena says she's gonna be the prince and she's gonna beat you world's end and get the ring back and save Anthe and all she needs is the power to revolutionize the world and then Akio's like what the fuck you're just a girl you can't do this and Utena's like nah fuck you let's duel and Akio gets real close and is like his like mouth is on her nose and I hate it and he's like, this is going to be a real duel and instead of the fake duels that you've been doing before. And you're going to find out how hard it really is to be a prince. And they duel, which I, I really like the way that the scene is drawn. It's very, uh, it's very dynamic and interesting. And Utena is like on the ground and Akio is like, you should just give in because you're not going to win. And Utena is like, no, fuck you. And she's like, I'm going to save Anthe no matter how much I have to suffer. And they talk a lot about her desires. And uh, he's trying to get her to hand over the sword. And she's like, nah, fuck you. I won't give in to defeat because I'm not going to become like you. I'm going to be the best. And he's like, why are you even doing this? Like, is that like, do you want to just give your life for Anthe? And Uzo's like, yeah, basically. Like, she she's trying to, not only in, in the scene is she trying to defeat Akio and, like, prove that she's going to be the prince that saves everybody, but or, and specifically Anthe, but she's also trying to, like, wake Anthe up because Anthe's, like, her clothes are fading away and she's kind of, like, standing there catatonic. And throughout the fight, it ends up that Utena channels Dios's power. Like, we see Dios with, like, the ring, and Akio's like, can it be Dios? But he's gone for good. The power is mine. And, uh, no, apparently Dios is here, and, uh, that gives Utena the power to, uh, defeat Akio, basically, kind of, a little bit. Uh, she gets one over on him and then Anthe finally like kind of wakes up 
uh, once she's, it looks like it's once blood has been drawn, Anthe kind of like wakes up and <laughs> is like, oh shit. Yeah, it's like real shit now. She smells the blood and he wakes her up. <laughs> yeah, basically. She smells her prey. Uh, Anthe goes over to Utena and like is like holding her and she's like, and Utena's like, Anthe, let me go. I have to fight. And Anthe's like, Please, no more. You're just a girl. This fight is too cruel for a mortal. Besides, it doesn't matter. Not anymore. I don't need a prince to save me. And Uzuna thanks her for believing in her. And Uzuna says, now it is over. I can finally end as your prince. And they look at each other and they're both crying. And Anthe's like, it can end? Lady Uzuna, my lady. I'm getting emotional over here. Um, and I just love them so much. And like, I just really, I especially, I love Anthe so much. And like, when she has these moments where she really realizes how much she does actually care about Utena, just like my heart. And there's a really good panel of Utena kind of like, she's kind of transformed and she's got like a dios uniform almost like her the duelist uniform and akio's like that's dios isn't it you're dios and utana says no i am utana and she explains <laughs> we've talked about this in episode she explains that her name means calyx the cup that shields the young flower i will protect her even if it means destroying the man i loved for anthe's sake a kiss and it's done. You and Dios shall be as you once were together as one. And Anthe's like, no, Lady Utena, if you do that, you'll cease to exist. Is that what you want? And then there's a big fucking explosion. <laughs> and <laughs> everything <laughs> starts to fall to the ground. Wouldn't she go Utena? A film and... by Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. And, um... As she's falling to the ground, Anthe hears Utena's voice, but she can't tell where it's coming from. And she has the ring. And now it's an, another quote-unquote normal day at Otori Academy. <laughs> before, uh, be, before before we move on to, to this epilogue, I just wanted to point out that um, when when you said, like, you know, when, when Dios shows up and... Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, there's two things. One is that I remember that one of the things about Dios in the manga is that he's an adult. Um, whereas in the anime, he's shown as kind of a kid, kind of Suabuki's age. So he looks like an older kid yeah. to little Utena. But by the time that the show is happening, he looks younger than Utena. But here he looks like the same age as Akio, which is interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. He does look older. And, and the other thing that I was going to point out is that when, when you were reading it and you were saying, oh, you know, Akio, Akio says, but no, the power of the ring, like, how can it be, you know, and, and Dios shows up to Utena. The first thing that echoed through my head was, you know, I am Captain Planet. The power is yours. <laughs> the power of the ring. That's really good. I'm so sorry. I just could not help it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's there. It's there funny. to be made. Um, anyway, sorry. Please continue. Oh, no. Another thing I wanted to point out. Um, so, um, the manga starts off 
aesthetically very different from the anime. It remains so, but it, they change some things as the as the comic goes on. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the manga, and I just remember this because of this splash page with all of the students going into Otori. Like at the beginning of the manga, Otori does not look like it does in the anime, but. Oh, yeah. But by now, I think this was introduced beforehand, but by now it has that archway and the tower and all of that, which was introduced slowly, but it's not what the comic looks... It's not what it looks like at the beginning, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, the uh, the manga and the anime were being produced concurrently, so it makes sense that there are some things that aesthetically would start off different in the manga, but then come to resemble their anime counterparts a little more as the story this goes is- on. Oh, Alice? I was just I was saying, yeah, there's like there's some conflu- con- con- convergence there of over time. They just start kind of becoming the same as the as they both develop. I, I wanted to say like one of the things that I that I noticed, I guess, like I never really thought about it that much when I originally read it. But by now I am very well versed on the Rose of Versailles being a big inspiration for this. And so the thing that I noticed, right, the things that they don't change in the manga as it goes on, they don't change what the castle looks like from from what it did at the beginning in the manga, and they don't change the um, the flower the oh god, how do they say it in English? The flower hothouse thing that Anthony is in. She has flowers in there. Yes. Arbor- no, is that an arboretum? No, it's like a glass house. Um, I think we called it. Um. I think we just called it the flower garden. The greenhouse, maybe? Greenhouse, yes, greenhouse. So, yes. thank you. So, the greenhouse in the anime is very, very obviously shaped like a classic birdcage. Yeah, because, you know, one thing about Ikahara is that he's subtle. Subtle. And the <laughs> the illusory upside-down castle is very much a fairy tale castle. Now, both of these things, their their aesthetic pretty much comes from, like the fairy tale the concept of what fairy tales looked like in the early renaissance and later and a bit later so that's kind of what fairy tales look like you know actually especially like in like uh, as as the aesthetics go on into the more into actually the 17th 18th centuries now the thing about it about the manga uh so it's not really renaissance at all but the manga the architecture of the castle and the greenhouse is actually pretty much spot-on 19th century very baroque architecture like you would see in rose of versailles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so yeah no I, I guess i just like noticed that and that they 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 definitely make sure to not change that in the manga the castle remains that sort of very much baroque very square but also very very ornamental kind of thing instead of the very like fanciful pointy illustrated castle we have in the anime i don't know i think that's a very that's a very very specific choice that Saito makes with the manga that works really well to separate it from the anime aesthetically uh, and slightly thematically as well because as we were saying we're talking more about like a concrete mythology rather than a symbolic one yeah uh we we actually talked about rose of versailles we watched the first episode of rose of versailles as like a bonus episode for the show because uh Saito and Ikahara, or at least I know Ikahara has denied that uh, Rosa Versailles was an influence, but I don't know if I 100%. And even if that's true, they're both kind of taking from the same sources. 
like they're both kind of situating themselves in a lot of like in the same sort of aesthetic neighborhood that baroque style really like that baroque everything kind of just it just works like it has a, it, it there's a weird sort of like there's enough distance between us and it so that it's sort of foreign in a way but also it kind of conjures to mind sort of grandiosity of that you kind of want with something that's has literal actual kind of sort of gods in it see the 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 thing so first of all i think ikuhara is a lying liar who lies <laughs> uh, i mean yeah probably i don't trust anything that man says i think i need to i think i would need to watch the anime concurrently with rosa versailles or the manga but i do distinctly remember that there are very specific references to the rose of versailles especially in the anime oh i've only seen the first episode of rose of versailles that we watched for the show but i've been meaning to check out more the there's a lot of similarities in there and the thing about the um the Baroque architecture is, if you look at, I'm just still looking at this page with the Otori, uh, Otori campus with the tower. If you look at that, that's not really Baroque architecture, that's more neoclassical, which is kind of more what the anime goes for a lot of the time, rather than the very, very, very ornate Baroque that we see in the Castle of the Manga. Um, but, but my point was going to be that, yeah, I mean, I think the Rose of Versailles is such a, direct and i think it, it i think it definitely is on both versions of the story uh i think saito is much more honest about the fact that it is but i, I definitely remember ikuhara saying in an interview long ago that it was well I ikuhara has been known to uh contradict himself for fun basically yeah but it's just it's it's let's put it this way it's impossible for uh an anime creator of ikuhara's generation who made this show to not have seen the Rose of Versailles? Yeah. I I cannot I literally cannot believe. I'm kind of honestly. Like it's it's very yeah, hard to explain how big Rose of Versailles was. Rose of Versailles was the most popular anime of the year that it aired. It aired the same year oh, as Mobile Suit. It was it was a high budget anime of a very very well regarded manga, and it was incredibly popular and influential in Japan. And the thing about it was that. Uh, the other major anime that w everyone remembers from 1979 is Mobile Suit Gundam. Mobile Suit Gundam was a low-budget uh, toy-selling anime that turned out to be something more than that, but it had a very low budget. And if you watch those shows back-to-back, -back, Rose of Versailles looks like it's made like 10 years later because it has much better like production values because it was considered much more important mm -hmm. as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a thing. So it's it, it's much more of a cultural touchstone, especially in the world of of shoujo, because it kind of both established and subverted so many of the tropes. And I do think that the manga leans into that more than the anime in many ways. But the anime also leans into that. Like Utena is very similar to Oscar as a person. Oh, definitely. Yeah. A uh, former guest of the show, Abby, was doing a uh, like a, a tweet thread of when she was watching Rose of Versailles for a while. And I hope she gets back to it because that was that was funny. It's a really, no, really good show. I, I really enjoyed the episode that we watched. It was very up my alley. It really it, it's straight up like a historical drama. What, what were you saying? Oh, yeah, no, no worries. Um, you know, it's, it's very much straight up like. A historical drama like Rosa Versailles is one of those anime that you could literally just slap it into um, a, a, a 
like a BBC show and it would work. And in fact, they actually did do a live action movie with French actors. Oh, was it any good? I've never managed to track it down and I don't think it is. Uh, it's such a shame that so many anime live action films are very bad. Yeah. Did you know that Clamp's Tokyo Babylon had a live action film that's not very good? Oh, no, I did. Anyway, anyway, we should probably get back to this. I'm sorry. I'm full of trivia. A... Oh, no, that's fine. I love, I love trivia. I love trivia. Like... I, I love any background information about this stuff that anybody can bring to the table because, like, I'm very new to Utsuna. I watched Revolutionary Girl Utsuna for the first time in, like, 2013, 2014, probably. And then I didn't really pay as much attention to it. So, like, because I liked it, but, like, I wasn't really, like, getting it. And then when we started watching it for this show was when I really started to feel like I understood Utena because before it just felt like a, like a beautiful mess and it still is a beautiful mess, but now it's one that I actually like spend so much of my time thinking about because I decided I wanted to do a podcast about an anime and arbitrary like basically arbitrarily chose this one because i wanted to do my favorite anime and series like of all time my favorite thing of all time is sailor moon and i wanted to do a sailor moon podcast but there's already several sailor moon podcasts and i didn't want to be redundant so i was like what's something that i could do a show about and i thought it would be very fun to get my friend who is Alice, <laughs> who had never seen this show before, to watch it with me and talk about it as she watched every episode every week. And that was how this got started. So I'm very new to Utana, and I love any information that anyone else can bring to the table. I kind of love that 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 you're so new to it because I was I was telling my housemate, my husband and I do a Star Trek podcast. Um and I was telling her, like, she's also, like, younger than me, but I was also telling her about how the Utuna fandom is very small, but very, but the, the English-speaking fandom is relatively tight-knit. Like, at least we all, we all definitely know, like, Yasha and Giovanna, you know? Um, oh, definitely. And, and, and it's just, like, everything goes through empty movement, and, and, that, and that's okay, you know? But the thing is, it's an anime that deserves so much more recognition than it gets in the English-speaking world. I feel and oh definitely and and but I was saying I was saying like uh, like you know MJ and I we we are part of a Star Trek podcast one of many Star Trek podcasts one of at least two women focused Star Trek podcast this is I think the only active Utena podcast as far as I can tell we are the only revolutionary girl Utena podcast and that's and that is cool because this show has so much to bite into and and it's really interesting to hear new perspectives on it because for me it's a show that as important as it is and as groundbreaking and just good as it is it's so it's a show from 21 years ago you know it's a show that i watched as a teenager and i connected to it because i saw on screen queer fucked up teenagers <laughs> you know <laughs> Oh, I totally get that. Yeah, I actually, uh, I didn't just really get into Empty Movement until uh, after we had finished watching the show. So uh, except for like 
when I would search out like specific information that I was looking for, like, and I would find some, uh, some 10 year old uh, posts in the Rose Garden, uh, we didn't really get into a lot of like the analysis that already exists of Utena. So like all, most of our, uh, most of our series episodes are like just us talking about like watching the episode and like giving our un uh i don't know what word i'm looking for uh because the word tainted comes to mind which i feel like <laughs> is appropriate a geo and yasha but uh <laughs> i don't know if you've listened to the episodes that they've been on of the show ari but they are uh, i want to i just watching. haven't had the chance it's fine, no, but they're, uh, it's always horny on this show when Gio and Yasha are here, <laughs> but um, we didn't have a lot of, like, outside influence on our experience with Utena, so, like, that's what all of our first episodes are, is just, like, us watching it and reacting in real time, but, um, yeah, I love Utena so much, let's talk about this epilogue. <laughs> Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, we're back? No, 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 no. Like, it's fine. D- digressions are fine. Like, it, I I think everybody enjoys no matter what it is that we're talking about, as long as we're talking about Utena, or at least tangentially. The epilogue starts literally right after uh, everything has fallen to the ground and Anthe has the ring now. And it's very similar to the epilogue of the anime in a lot of ways at first except one major difference is that it kind of centers on toga walking around campus and everybody's kind of commenting on how like toga's so different now and he's been like really standoffish and not really talking to people and he got hurt in an accident that like nobody seems to remember anything about nobody remembers utana much like the epilogue of the anime and uh it just sort of follows Toga, like, interacting with the main cast of the show. And, like, they're all trying to, like, have normal conversations with him about what's going on. And he just, like, does not care because I guess he's thinking about Utsuna. And uh, we get to see Wakaba for a frame. And that's great because I love her. And Toga runs into Choo Choo, who is playing with a frog. And then suddenly Choo Choo is in a version of Utena's duelist uniform, which is adorable. And Toga's like, what the fuck? Did Himemiya make you those clothes? And we see my favorite thing I've ever seen, maybe possibly in my entire life. Anthe in a version of Utena's duelist uniform and she's got her hair down and she's so cute and she's got like a tennis racket because I guess she's athletic now and uh, she and Toga start talking and uh, they're, they're the only people that remember Utena anymore and Toga's talking about how Anthe has changed and uh we have a moment of uh, what Yasha probably likes to refer to as Toga the feminist because he <laughs> says, uh, Anthe says to Toga, you must have really loved her. And Toga says, yeah, not as a man or a woman, but as a human being. I <laughs> see. So how is that both simultaneously like affirming and yet like the grossest thing way he could have put that when i read it 
<laughs> when I, I read it just I mean, now, because so it, it's been a while and I've never read it in English before. Does that imply that, like, if he saw her as a woman, that he wouldn't express mentor as a human? Uh, yeah, I mean, spe- speaking of a lot of Toga's behavior, yeah, that's probably accurate. Okay, the thing is, like, again, this when I read it in English, it just made me... The first thing that popped in my mind, because I am that kind of that kind of trash person, was, you know, yeah, I did not love her as a man or a woman, but as a human being. Is, does it Danny come across ha? different in uh, the foreign language version of the book? Reading it in English, no fault of the manga on its own at all, but the way that Toga says that he loved Utena not as a man or a woman, I just... The moment I read it, because I'm that kind of trash person, I just read, you know, oh, you know, I didn't love her as a man or a woman, but as a human being, Danny, huh? <laughs> just, it's just instant Tommy Wiseau. The long hair oh doesn't God. matter. That's so funny. Tommy Wiseau. As a human being, oh, Danny. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to not think about that anymore. So, does this mean that when we finally get the live version movie of Uthana, it's going to be Tommy Wiseau's Toka? God, don't speak to me about that. Because I want it. I want it badly. And, okay, so Toga's talking about Utena and how awesome she was and how much he loved her. And uh, he asks Anthe if she'll if he's never going to see Utena again. And Anthe says, Lady Utena is still alive. And he asks her how she knows that. And she says, the rose seal, Lady Utena threw it to me at the very end. The, ro- the ring sealed away the power of Dios, the power to revolutionize the world. It's still right here. The ring has yet to be used, and the world is still re- waiting for its revolution. And she says, tell them for me that I won't be able to do the pledge, because they were talking about how, like, she's supposed to be doing a uh, a speech at, like, a a gathering or whatever at school. It really doesn't matter. Um, She says she has to go and Toga asks her where, and she says to look for Lady Utena when she and I once meet once again, that is when it will begin. And this is just the start. And she says the world awaits the power of Dios and it begins with us. And we have the last page is them hugging and I love it so much. I also love it because the last page has like it's basically kind of meant to evoke when they first met so they're kind of like standing from a distance from each other at the top and Anthe is you know with the um with like choo-choo and just like looking as she does at the beginning of the manga but in the hug she is as she looks now yeah um and Uten is also very standoffish in her body language and then they're hugging and I don't know I love it it's a good page yeah, I love it too. It's so sweet and I just love them so much. I love the way that they kind of don't understand each other at first and they're both like they both have their own separate things that they're trying to do with their lives and then like towards the end like they really understand each other and they love and care for each other and it's so good and sweet and precious. And, uh, yeah, I really liked this volume, you guys. No, it's good. I just, this just made me think of something else, you know, because obviously the uh-huh. whole thing with Anthe at the very end is that she's dressed like Utena. She is not tying up her hair like Utena. 
So she's basically taken on all of these characteristics of Utena by the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Where she's she's like the popular girl and the and the big athlete that they want to do the commencement speech at that like sports festival. You know, mm-hmm. they're like she's basically taken Utena's role. Um, and you know, this is again when I first read this, I was like, I didn't understand it, right? I was like, why? But obviously it's because it's just meant to be a shorthand for how Utena has influenced and changed Anthe as a person. Mm-hmm. And the there is a <laughs> to bring it back to, 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 to fucking theory, right? Um, and this time I'm gonna talk about literature and I'm gonna talk about one of my favorite books. But it's relevant, I promise. I promise. I believe um, you. Um so one of my favorite books is Don Quixote de la Mancha. Oh, I love Don Quixote. Yeah, so Don Quixote is great. And one of the main concepts that I... It's, this is one of those things that I need to look up on TV Tropes to find out what people call it in English. But basically, the concept that we... A, a translation of it would in, into English would be the uh, quick certification of Sancho, of Sancho Panza, and the yeah, sanctification yeah. of Don Quixote. They they do they become more like each other as time goes on. Yeah, it's kind of like you got your peanut butter and my chocolate. You got my chocolate and my your peanut butter. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's this thing where Sancho starts off cynical and realistic and becomes a more idealistic person, and Don Quixote has the opposite journey, and they take that journey together, and. Utena is, I think, I mean, at least talking about the manga specifically, there's much more of that in this, in that sense, because Utena starts off on a quest for herself. She's not a very selfish person, but her quest to find the prince is a quest for herself that she's not really doing out of any actual altruism. She's doing it because she wants to find the, the, uh, you know, the the prince and and she wants to become the prince so that she can meet the prince and then she meets Anthony instead and because this entire relationship starts and at the end Utena does what Anthony did which is self-sacrifice and so as an echo of that Anthony becomes this outgoing person inspired by Utena's sacrifice but Utena's sacrifice was inspired by Anthe so it's this kind of like recursion between the two characters becoming mm. like each other but also different from each other kind of like recursive and becoming a sort of as a couple they are a kind of mirror to Dios and Aki except not dysfunctional I love it yeah that's really good I I really I hadn't necessarily I had noticed that uh, obviously, like, Anthe is very visibly uh, influenced by Utena at the end of the story, but I hadn't thought about the fact that her sac- that Utena's sacrifice at the end really is her Anthification. Yeah, I only thought about it just now when I was actually thinking about it. Um, and I also think that, like, see, in the manga... Obviously, it's up, it's black and white, and I have never seen any color artwork of Anthe with this uniform. Me either. I want to know what color her uniform is. My theory is that it's clearly not black like Utena's, and my theory is that in the in the manga, in 
uh, a lot of illustrations obviously, obviously they have anime colors but initially Anthe's dress was meant to be white because she's a bride like because she's a she's yeah. a European Western style bride not a Japanese bride um, mm -hmm. and I think this is meant to be white and it's meant to be contrasting with Utenas in that sense it's meant it's it's in fact when they're hugging it's kind of almost like a, like a like a like a negative of Utena's uniform which I don't know it's really I don't know I really love it I'm loving it more now god damn it I like the manga now <laughs> I know right like I fit I was like halfway through the manga and I texted Alice and I was like I'm a manga apologist now <laughs> like really and truly I I have done like a total like turnaround on my opinion because like I loathed the manga when we started and part of that is as I said because volume one is very bad but uh oh, it just it's so good it really is it's just such an interesting take on the same story it is it is could be gayer though <laughs> all right so do we have other things that we want to say about the manga before we close out Oh, do we um do we want to at all talk about the side stories? I haven't read them. I okay. was, I'm gonna save them for another episode probably because I only managed to just finish this volume before we started recording. <laughs> so I didn't have time to read them, but uh we'll pro I'll probably have another episode for the short stories and if if we can't find anybody to talk about the short stories, we'd love to have you back, Ari. This was great. Oh no, this was awesome. Um, I uh, oh oh oh, there was there was sorry, there was two things that are relevant to this, to mm -hmm. to the non side stories bit that I wrote down that I forgot to mention. It it has been lovely to to talk to y'all. Yeah. So one of the things was that um, so by the end of the manga, the student council is still a thing. Yeah, and they're more student council-y than they ever were in the anime. Yeah, they definitely are. And I think, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've reread the manga more recently than I have, like, at least volumes before this one. But if I remember correctly, at the beginning of the manga, the student council only have their duelist ornaments when they are dueling. Uh, yeah, I think that that's, I think that that might be the case. So the thing is, by the end of the manga, they just have them on all the time. And kind of the implication is that they're, those are not in any way related to the dueling, which I find funny. It's like, oh, we just dress fans because we're the student council. We just do it. And we organize sports festivals. Yeah, I like this idea that they just dress like that just because. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the other thing that I wanted to point out is uh, when, you know, when Toga is talking to the student council, talking to like Julia and Mickey, and they're talking about it and and all and this and that and, and Toa kind of doesn't care. And then at one point they turn around and they go like, "Oh, hello, chairman. You look well today." And and Toga is a bit taken aback. And then he sees that it's not it's not Akio, but it's the actual chairman. Oh yeah, I meant to mention that, and I just totally breezed past it when I was uh, talking about what happens. But but yeah, like we see like the actual chairman and not Akio. And that is, I mean. We don't really know, right? But the implication is that that would be Kanae's dad, that that is actu the actual chairman of Tori. Yeah, I mean, we never see uh, we never see Kanai in uh, in the manga. No, but or she's maybe um. We do, maybe weekly, I don't remember. I don't remember. 
I can't remember. I th- they do they do mention like the situation being very similar. Yeah, like I think they reference the fact that she exists, but I don't know that we actually see her. But I just love it that this is literally our only glimpse into uh, ch- the real terminatory, and it's also kind of like the only adult that ever shows up aside from, um, aside from Kanaya's mother in the anime, and also. Yeah, the teacher that yells at Utena about her uniform. Yes, the teacher that the yells to Utena about her uniform, and the um, and the other teacher that is like the vice principal, I think, who shows up in the background and we don't see his face. It's like a very obviously a very intentional creative choice to not actually show any adults and Akio kind of representing yeah. that yeah. in a way. But what I wanted to point out is that two things. One is that Chairman Otori is is straight up Alfred Pennyworth. Um, (laughs) so that's kind of inescapable and the other thing is that like the the second thought that crossed in my mind and I think this is something that I was joking about when I first read this when I was reading it with my friends that we were like I hope he's not looked too closely at what state Akio left his office in I wouldn't. I just. I wouldn't. I wouldn't get a user like going in there. You know. What I'm saying? You know. I just. I wouldn't. I. Mm, no. You don't want to do that. Mm, no. I. I have a question, and I don't know that I have an answer. Do we know whether or not Akio still like, exists at the end of this? Because obviously, like the ending's very different in the anime. Like we see him, and then Anthe leaves. But, like, the implication is that with the explosion, so went Akio. Well, Akio's also a very different thing in the anime and the manga, right? In the yeah. anime, yeah. in the anime, he is a demiurge. He is what is maintaining the, fabul- the, the, the fabulous world of Otori is just this sort of, like, cyclical thing that he keeps going yeah. to yeah. obtain power. And so he creates and he rules over that world. Um, and then Anthe just leaves the world. Whereas here, he's just kind of like a god. And I guess, I guess the implication is that he's back to being a, a, a non-corporeal god, maybe? I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, And, you know, I don't know that there is an answer, but I was just sort of thinking about that uh, when we were talking about the, the real chairman appearing. Do we think that everyone forgot about Akio? Because I don't know that very many people even knew Akio. So I don't know that it would matter too much if everyone forgot. But like, like, I guess, does anyone else interact with Akio in the manga? A little bit. Toga does. Toga Um, does, but like, I don't think anyone else besides them do. Um, I think I remember in the previous volume, Jury mentioned like when uh, when Utena was going on a like a car ride with him, but I don't know that anyone else interacted with Akio. No, it's very because again, his position is kind of different by the nature that the world is very different. Mm-hmm. I I feel that the world is portrayed in the manga. Yeah, he kind of he ruled over the school and everything, and now he's kind of gone, but. The school is not this kind of purgatory that it's implied to be in the anime. It's just this kind of like school that happens to have all these issues going on around it. And then once mm-hmm. that is over, these characters can kind of go on with their lives as we kind of see in these sequel mangas. But yeah. in the anime, yeah. there's the 
because he's like starting the duels again and, and he just leaves, there's this kind of implication that all of the other characters who had actually, like Mickey and Jury at least, had definitely developed to a point and kind of like getting past their own flaws to a degree or clearly going to in the future. And the implication in the anime is kind of they're all trapped in there with Akio. Yeah? Which, yeah. So the manga is kind of more positive in that regard, I suppose. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if there's, if there's anything else. I, I just kind of like monologue there a bit. That's fine. Alice, do you have any other thoughts? Not really, except it's just that I really enjoyed the end of the manga. I thought it was prob. I thought it like the manga starts weak and finishes so shockingly strong. Shockingly strong is a good way to put it. Okay, now, uh, what what was your uh, your last point, Ari? Yes, sorry about that. Um, no, my last point is that one of the things about like the way that the manga finishes, it really reminds me a lot of the Rose of Versailles manga and the Neo Genesis Evangelion manga. In terms of the Rose of Versailles manga, there's a structural thing where in the in a lot of compilations, the Rose of Versailles manga is compiled as five volumes, where in the fifth volume, the story ends around the third, uh, around like the first third of the book is the end of the actual story. And then the last two thirds are two side stories. Um, okay. And one of them, like, I can't remember what's the name of the... Um, uh the 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 black rose saga in this but i think the name is very similar to one of the side stories in rose of versailles because it's about like a black masked kind of like um like mysterious mysterious renegade um so that's one thing that like it reminded it i'm 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 like "Mm, the structure of the volume is very similar to the end of rose of versailles uh, but the other thing is that I feel, you know, we were talking about how it's a much more uplifting kind of ending than the anime. The anime ends in an uplifting way, but this is kind of much more definitive in a way. And I feel this reminds me a lot about the Evangelion manga, because Evangelion as an anime and, and with the movie ends in this very ambiguous, symbolic way that is also a bit of a downer. And the manga has that and then adds an epilogue to it that is much more like uplifting. And I feel this is kind of the feeling that this gave me reading it now. I feel it's. I still feel it's not as sophisticated as the anime in many ways, but it has that extra bit of trying to like generate a bit of uplifting aspect to it. I've never actually read the Evangelion manga, so that's interesting. I didn't know that uh, it had an epilogue. It's I do easy. recommend it. It's a much. I consider it like an expanded version of the anime because they actually develop the characters a lot more. Okay. Um, yeah, I do recommend that. It's really cool. quite good, in my opinion. Yeah, I should definitely check that out. But um, I guess that that does us for uh, manga talk for the show, or at least for the mainline uh, series. We'll do uh, side stories at a later date. But if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at UthanaCast. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at MPandanata. Alice, where can they follow you on Twitter? They can find me at Lyrewolf. At L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. And Ari, where can people find you and the things that you do on the internet should you wish for you and the things that you do to be found? Uh, I do indeed. Thank you. Just wanted to say thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you too. I love your podcast and I love talking to you about Utuna and getting your perspectives about it. And I really enjoyed it. So where people can find me is mainly uh, mainly on Twitter. I'm at AB underscore Silvera. 
where I intersperse tweets, tweets about feminist and trans politics with nerdy stuff, um, a lot of Transformers, a lot of Gundam, <laughs> a lot of other, other stuff. Um, and so that's a good place to keep up to date with my projects. I also have a Facebook like page that says AB Silvera, AKA Mina. So that's another thing. And the main project I have going at the moment until other projects are announced is Angel 2, a feminist Star Trek podcast. You can find that uh, on Twitter as at Angel2Pod. I think you can also find us on all the, on like iTunes and all the main things. And yeah, it's a feminist Star Trek podcast. I record it with uh, my pals in uh, Glasgow with four friends of mine. We just put on a mic on and go and do feminist analysis and make fun of Riker's beard. That sounds awesome. <laughs> I love Star Trek. I love feminism. So this sounds very up my alley. I should definitely check out your podcast. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, no, do check us out. Um, we, just, we just have fun with it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Ari. Uh, I hate that this has been plagued with technical difficulties, but it was so great to talk to you. And I loved uh, getting your insight on the manga and all of the trivia that you bring to the table. So uh, if we can't find anybody to talk to us about the side stories, I would definitely love to have you back because this was great. Awesome. It was It was also great. Sorry that I, I monologued a bit a couple of times. <laughs> That's what I mean. We we're literally here just to talk into microphones. So I mean, you know, cool. But thank you for revolutionizing the world with me tonight, today. It's night for you. It's day. Revolucionar el mundo. <laughs> That's to revolutionize the world in Spanish. <laughs>